Um, before I get going on the message this morning, I did just want, I just felt like the Lord was putting it on my heart uh, during that last song of worship, that there might be somebody here this morning, one or, or more persons, that, that you're going through something right now, which is you know, pretty obvious. We're all going through something right now, right? Um, but the words to that song, and I just felt like that it was something that the Lord wanted me to reiterate and to really drive home. It says that I know that you are for me. And the next part says that you will not forsake me in my weakness. And I know that when we're wrestling with things and things are getting real tough, it doesn't always feel like God's for us. And I just wanted to throw it out there. If, if you're struggling with something right now, like you're just having a real hard time and you're feeling alone and, and like God's not there, I want you just to remind you that He is, even if you don't feel like He is. And that He really is for you. He loves you. He, he wants the best for you. And uh, even when you're in your weakest point, Scripture's pretty clear. It's at that, those points that God is most strong in our lives. I think part of it is because when, when we're at that broken weakness point, that's where there's not anything left for us to get in the way. You know, many, many times we're our own worst enemy, where we... We are wrestling with something and we keep trying to fix it in our own strength. And when we finally get to the bottom and we're just crushed and we get out of the way, then God has liberty to come in and do something. If we could just train ourselves to get out of the way sooner so we didn't have to be that bug on the windshield before we could let God do something, we'd be in a much better place. But unfortunately, many times that that's, that's kind of how we end up going through life. So... That's a freebie. It wasn't even in the notes. All right. So last week we started a new series. I have to tell you that, that the stories in, in 2 Kings and, uh, and through that section of the Old Testament with Elijah and Elijah are some of my favorite stories in the Scripture. I enjoy reading about those things. I love reading about the miraculous. I don't know about you, but it's super fun to me. To, to read about things that God has done that just are not explainable. And it drives me crazy and is somewhat comical, I think, when people try to explain the miraculous. I had a professor in college who, who was a Christian, but he tried to explain every miracle with something, you know, you know, like he was talking about how the Israelites walked through the Red Sea and how it really wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. And, and what happened was the chariots were going across the, this marshy land and the, and the chariot wheels got stuck and popped off and that's how God did that. And I was like, are you kidding? That is not, that is not what it says. People were not drowning in reeds. They were drowning in a sea. The horse and the rider were thrown into the sea is the song that Miriam sang after this whole thing happens. And it's just craziness. But people will try to explain the miraculous. And I, I enjoy it so much because they're really, it's inexplicable. When God does something miraculous, it's inexplicable. And while the physical miracles are really fun and exciting to read about, I think that what is the most miraculous is the way that God changes a heart. How God can change the way you feel or the way that you think or the way that you respond to a person who has hurt you, wounded you, damaged you for life. And all of a sudden, 
I thought Chris's testimony a few weeks ago was very powerful of the forgiveness that God has put in her heart towards someone that had done something that most would say was unforgivable. That's miraculous. That is unexplainable. That is something that only the power of God can do in someone's life. Um, And it's exciting. It's fun to hear. And that's why we have Thanksgiving service where we give everybody an opportunity to come up and share what God's done in your life because it encourages our faith when we hear about the miracles of God that are still taking place today. Thomas, I'm going to skip the, the video, okay? All right. So this morning, we're going to continue on. I don't know, if anybody ever confuse Elijah and Elijah? You're like, I never can remember which one's first. Just, just a little help. They, they're alphabetical. Elijah was first, and then Elisha. J before S. If that helps, maybe not. Um, it helps me to keep them, keep them in mind. Um, we're going to be talking this morning about digging ditches and ridiculous faith. Now, I had a little experience this week dig- digging ditches. Not a job that I would ever want to do. Um, I have a, a friend. Um, in fact, his name is Joe Young. And way back when we first started the church, he actually came and, and helped us uh, a little bit. He, he's a worship leader, and he did some worship leading for us six years ago. And Joe literally, for work, dug ditches. And it destroyed him. He's got a bad back, he's got bad knees, and he's in his 30s. Not a fun job. Um, Jill and I got to dig a ditch this week was not a fun, a fun job. We, uh, we uh, had a pool problem over the winter. It destroyed our pool, and we had to get it fixed. And in the process, we ran a new electric line. And they want you to go 47 feet down. No. Okay, that's an exaggeration. But it sure felt like it was awfully deep. <clears throat> and, I mean, so we're digging it. Our ditch was all of 7 or 8 inches wide and maybe... 15 inches down just to lay conduit. And it was not fun to do. I can't imagine like when they used to dig graves by hand and things. It's just just a horrible thing. I want to ask a question this morning before we really get into the Word, though. I want you to to think about and fill in this, this blank. If only I had blank... Life would be easier. Life would be better. Life would be happier. All right, and I'm not looking for, you know, in church the answer is Jesus, okay? <clears throat> I'm not looking for the Jesus answer. I'm looking for what is your answer? What, what, what was the first thing that popped into your mind? Give me a few examples. If only I had, if only I had listened, life would be easier. That's a good answer. If only I had money, life would be easier. If only I had perfect health, life would be easier. If only I had time, more time, life would be easier. Life would be better. Life would be happier. What else? If only I had, what is it? (laughs) If only I had energy. (laughs) If only I got to have sleep, life would be better. What else? 
If only I had a spouse. If only I had a significant other. Life would be easier. Life would be happier. Any others? If only only I had a child. If only God would bless us with children. Life would not be easier. (laughs) But it might be better and might be happier. Any others? Only had air conditioning. Central air. It would really be nice. You know, good answers. In fact, buy your house. Even better. They are looking for a house. You are selling a house. We should talk about this after service. (laughs) Somehow it comes back to that all the time. So, what I would like you to do this morning is think about what it, what is your greatest need. Maybe you said life would be easier if we had more money because you've got a financial need right now. Or maybe you said life would be better if I was healthy because you have a health issue that you're going through right now. Or maybe you said life would be better if I had a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse because you're feeling lonely right now. Or maybe you fill in the blank. Whatever your answer was, I would like you to listen to the message this morning in light of that need that you're going through. Okay. I'm going to just start this morning by reading the text from which we're going to pull out everything else this morning. So we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to read to you from verse 9 to verse 18. It's a great story. Here we go. 2 Kings chapter 3, verses 9 to 18. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And so one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elijah, I'm sorry, Elisha, the son of Shephat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elijah said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No. For the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind and you shall not see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Let me set a little bit of background here. So Israel, the people of God, got out of Egypt. Remember the story of Moses? And don't worry, I'm not going to... I'm going to fast forward a lot of this. 
and they got to the promised land and God set them up as a kingdom. And after a few generations, things didn't go so well and the kingdom was divided in half. So the people of God were the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And that king after king would come in both kingdoms and sometimes they would be serving the Lord and sometimes they would not. But the people of God were in these two kingdoms, Judah and Israel. And at their prime, when King David and King Solomon were reigning, the kingdom was expansive. And they would, they would actually have they conquered many different lands around them. And when you conquered a land, you would either take it over or they would kind of give you money to stay away from us. They, they would pay tribute. They would pay a tax. And so, at some point along the way, one of the kings passed away and his son inherited the kingdom. And one of these kingdoms on the side said, we're not paying the tax anymore to the new king and he's not going to be able to do anything about it. So he calls up his buddy in the other kingdom and he says, hey, I have a problem here. They're not paying tribute. Would you, would you mind going with me and we need to go talk to the king with our army behind us, and just see if we can get the taxes rolling again. And and he said, you know what? You know you're you're our you're our brother. You're our friend. Uh, yes, we'll go with you. And they said, well, how should which route should we take? Should we go 104 or 31? <laughs> and and they decided, you know what? It probably wouldn't hurt us if we had a little more strength. Let's go 104, and we can pick up people along the way. I guess 104 doesn't. Neither one of those routes really work for this analogy. But there's another town there somewhere, and, and we'll pick up some people there and take them along with us. So you get three kings with three armies that decide to march together and go after uh, this, this guy that stopped paying his taxes. Now, the roundabout route that they took ended up taking them through the desert. So here we go, another good story in the Scripture of, of Israel in the desert. I don't know why they don't learn that desert's not a good place for them. But they did it anyways. And after seven days, they're getting close to where the battle is going to be, or the potential battle is, and they realize we didn't pack enough water. Now, a seven-day journey of all the water that you carry and the water that you'll need for your animals can be pretty heavy. I think that you just assume it's going to be a, a, you know, an oasis here, and there's going to be a stream here and a well here, and we'll be okay. But they got to the place where they found out that there was no water. Nothing. And you really don't want to go into battle dehydrated. I heard it's not good for you. And so they had to do something. They had, they, and they are panicked. What are we going to do? And, they, and it dawns on them. They say, well, we thought we were supposed to do this. We thought this was the right thing to do. But we're going to go into battle against these guys and they're going to destroy us. Something's wrong. God must be against us and delivering us into the hands of these guys. So that's the context of where we're going from here. Three kings joined forces to fight a war. They expected to win easily, but it did not go as planned. Here's the first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Your greatest need, remember that's how we're going to listen to the message this morning, from the context of our greatest need, it can become a blessing 
when it drives you to depend on God. You say it again, or you can read it. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. So we have Israel and Judah and Edom. These three kings going out. They're going to have a decisive victory. They're going to make this guy pay tribute or wipe him off the face of the earth, which seems a little ridiculous because tribute seems to pay better. But anyways... They faced a very similar scenario and situation that many of us face, that many people face. They go along doing their own thing with their own idea and fall flat on their face and then do what? What do we do? We start to pray. We go, maybe this wasn't a good idea. God, I need your help. Don't we do that? We get involved in a situation or a circumstance or a scenario and and, oh, this is going terribly wrong. God, I need your help. Again, if we would only think to go to him first, we could probably save ourselves some difficulty and some heartache and some challenge. That's part of growing up and becoming mature. Or like Eddie said earlier, if only I had listened (laughs) the first time. (laughs) Yes. Maybe, God, if they had gone first and said, Lord, should this be somewhere that I'm going? Should this be something that I'm doing? And God may have told them, yes, let's go for it, but maybe would have told them to do it a different way, take a different route. But you know what? God's going to be glorified in this, so let's take a look. Let me read this part again, verses 9 12. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. We've got the three kings. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals that were with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked. Don't you love that name? Jehoshaphat. Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? So now they're stuck, they're in a bad spot, and now, now they think about it. Now it dawns on them, maybe God could help us. And so they start to say, who could we inquire of the Lord for? We obviously don't have a relationship with God. We've got to find somebody that does, somebody that can help us, somebody that's close to the Lord. And, and one of the servants of one of the kings says, yes, there is somebody nearby, Elijah. And they weren't quite sure. I mean, this is like the, the rookie year for Elijah. He had just kind of come into the prophet ship. I don't know what you call it. And, and they were like, so we never heard of this guy. They're like, well, He used to be the servant. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Oh, Elijah. We know Elijah. We've heard of him. In fact, this is a good good scenario because we know that Elijah, there was this huge drought and, and God used Elijah to bring this huge rain. So he'd be a good person for water, right? We need water. Elijah was good with water. Elijah was friends with him. This is a good scenario. Let's go get him. 
So Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to see him. Now, we're going to see a little something in here, and I, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure how to interpret this. Or I'm just trying to be honest with you. I've read this a lot, and I'm not sure what the spiritual application is. I know what it isn't, so maybe I'll go from that direction. But both Elijah, Elijah and Elijah did some things that I think were a little sarcastic, that were a little bit... I told you so, or and you know how that really doesn't help a scenario? You know, like when, when you've told your kids, don't do this because this is what's going to happen, and then they go and they do it, and that's what happens. And you really want to say, I told you so, but that's not going to help the situation. They said it anyways um, uh, in different scenarios, and I'm not quite sure why. I haven't been able to wrap my my mind around and my, my spiritual understanding as to why. Maybe it's just for the entertainment value of us reading the story. Um, but I find it fascinating that they come to Elijah and they say to him, hey, listen, um, Mr. Prophet, Mr. Man of God, we need your help. And he looks at the one king and he says to him, if it wasn't for the other king that I respect, I wouldn't even look at you. I wouldn't even talk to you. I can't even stand being around you. But because I like this guy, I guess I'll help. I, I, I'm not sure why God does that, why he's allowed to do that. It doesn't go over well today, but I'm fascinated by it. Let me tell you the story of how Elijah did that. This is one of my favorite stories. So there's this drought. Remember we were talking about there was no rain and and God wants to challenge the false gods, the false prophets of Baal. Israel was worshiping this idol, this false god called Baal. And, there were, and they had wiped out the prophets of God. They had chased them out of Israel. They had killed them. They had taken over. And God was protecting Elijah and told him, Listen, now's the time. I want to show everybody that, I, that, that you are my man and not these crazies. And he said, I want you to issue a challenge. And so they went up and he challenged the prophets of Baal. There were hundreds. Did you know? Is it 400? Hundreds of prophets of Baal against just the one prophet of God. And he said, I want to do a challenge here, guys. We're going we're gonna to take some two cows and we're going to sacrifice them on the, on the highest point so that all of the kingdom can see this. And what I want to do is I want to put a, a cow on an altar here and you guys do one over here and you guys pray to your God and I'm going to pray to my God and we're going to see which one will consume these offerings. We're going to stack wood around and we're going to have a fire. And, and they were like, okay, that sounds pretty simple. He goes, but, but first, we want to douse them with water. Just soak them so that they're super wet. And that's starting to be less of a good idea. You know, when it's a drought and there's and everything is dry, we can hope for a spark to start a fire, right? But 
But when everything's soaking wet and drenched, fire doesn't work so well. So he says, you guys go first. You 450 guys, you pray to Baal and, and call out to him and have him ignite your sacrifice. And then after he does it, then I'll go and I'll have God do it for, for me. And for hours, these guys are chanting and doing crazy things and nothing's happening. Surprise, surprise. And they're cutting themselves and they're going into these crazy rants. Nothing's happening. And Elijah starts to taunt them. He says, maybe, maybe Baal's asleep. Maybe you should be louder. And so they start going crazier and getting louder. And he goes, maybe, maybe he went to the bathroom. And it's in the Bible. Maybe he went to use the toilet. Maybe you should, maybe you should wait a few. Keep going. Keep going. And they, and they get crazier and crazier. Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe you should try to call him. Nothing happens. These guys are exhausted. This went on for hours. You see that sarcasm. And finally, he goes, I tell you what, guys. Now it's my turn. And Elijah prays, and the Spirit of God falls on the place and ignites both sacrifices, and even the water that's in the trenches around is consumed. And it's a bad day for the prophets of Baal. So this is the ministry that Elijah sits under, right? And so he says kind of the same thing. These guys come to him, and he goes, Why are you, why are you here? Why don't you go to your parent, your mom's, your mama? Why don't you go to her prophet? Can't she help you? Can't her prophets help you? He's talking about the prophets of Baal. Why didn't you go to them? And rightly so, Jehoshaphat says, because you have the word of the Lord. And we know that God called us together, and we're terrified that he called us together so that we're going to be destroyed together. And we need some help. Jehoshaphat wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, but he did fear God. This is a little side note, but I find it fascinating. I think it's important enough to stop and talk about. Verse 15, he says, Now bring me a harpist. Why does he do that? He says, I'm going to help you. Bring me a harpist. What's that about? Worship. Why do we why do we start a service with music? What is the what is the point of that? Is it just so that we can give people time to be late before we start preaching? No, seriously, why do we do that? Why do we start a service with music? To connect. Something happens. The Scripture says that God inhabits the praises of His people. What does that word mean, to inhabit? To live in. God lives in the, the praises of His people. So when we begin to worship and we use music, it's not, it's not to manipulate. It's not to create this mood, although I'm sure it does that. It's because God lives. He loves to be. And when we start entering into worship, when we start using music and we sing praise to God, it, it allows His presence to come and to settle with us in a special way. 
what was Elijah, Elijah hoping to do for these guys? What were they asking him to do? To get water. But, but they needed to hear a message from God, didn't they? There's a, there's a, there's a component here that's important for us. That worship, that praise, prepares our hearts to hear the voice of the Lord. That that worshipfulness gets us ready to hear God's voice. And I want to just challenge you that if you are in a place where you're seeking God for something, and you're going and just getting in a quiet place and, and just sitting and waiting, play some, play some praise music. Get some worship music going. Some of that... Some of the stuff that's out there is just musically about as good as anything you could find. It's just so good. And I guarantee you, you immerse yourself in it for 10, 15 minutes, you will start to feel God's presence in your heart and in your life. And if you're looking to hear God, hear, hear His voice on something, you're, looking, you're seeking Him for an answer for something, worship prepares our heart to hear from God. That's why we start every service with it. Because it's our hope that when we, the time that we've invested preparing a message, that you're going to walk away having heard from God that day. I don't care if it's me or Rob or Paul or any. It doesn't matter who's speaking it because it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through us that we're hoping and believing that your heart will be prepared to hear God's voice that morning. So don't just say, oh, this is the song. I know this song, or this is an old song, or this is a, well, they didn't do a good job on that song, or they did really awesome on that song. That's not the point. The point is, Lord, use this time this morning to prepare my heart. Help me to be ready this morning to hear your voice. God, I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to understand you. Use this worship time to make my, my, my soul soft and pliable and my spiritual ears open so that I can hear you today. That's what music is for. One more side note and then I'll move forward. Music is a powerful tool. Both spiritually in the church and spiritually outside of. And I don't want to get too crazy on this, but you know how every week we try to end the service saying, be careful of the things that you look at, the things that you listen to, the things that you talk about, the places that you allow yourself to go. Be careful of the kind of music that you listen to. And I'm not saying that you know this is good and this is bad. You'd be the judge of that. You allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about that. But I do find it interesting that when you read the Scripture and it talks about Satan before his fall and it describes him, he was music. He was the minister of music in heaven. Music flowed from him. I would think if that's the case, and that would probably be a tool that he could really use well. Just a thought. Be careful of music you listen to. You ever find yourself just singing the lyrics to a song that was on the radio or you're walking through a store? You ever stop and just examine the words that are coming out of your mouth? I've done that before and horrified myself. Why? Oh, I would never say that. And you just did. Okay, sorry, that was a complete sidebar. Bring me a harpist. And then it happened when the musician played. This is uh, verses 15 and 16. 
It happened when the musician played, and the hand of the Lord came upon him. He said, make this valley full of ditches. What? Wait, wait, wait. Time out, time out. We've been marching through the desert for seven days. We're getting ready to go into battle. All we asked you to do was give us a little drink of water. That's all we asked for, and now you want us to do manual labor in the desert in the hot sun. Why? What's going on here? But that's, that's what God spoke to him. And they're wondering if he can really hear from God. Make this valley full of ditches. But you know your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says. You will not see wind or rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. That's crazy. How is the desert sand going to fill up with water? And you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing for the eyes of the Lord. He will deliver Moab into your hands. Listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little phrase with you that I think is pretty neat. Right now, he's asking them to have something in their life that I want you guys to have in your life. And it's faith that works. I want you to have in your life faith that works. That's a play on words, and I don't know which way you're thinking when you hear that statement. Do you have operating in your life right now faith that works? Let me explain the difference between the two ways. Do you have faith that's effective? Or do you have faith that is active? Because I want there to be both in your life. Faith that does something, it's effective. Or faith that causes you to act, it's active. You see, only God can send the water, but sometimes He wants you to dig a ditch. Do you hear that? Only God can send the water, but sometimes, in fact, I would say many times, He wants you to dig a ditch. I just graduated from college. Not me. This is a scenario. I just graduated from college, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to sit at the table until the job fairy comes <laughs> and offers me a job, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to believe that God has a job for me. Well, God does have a job for you. But you might have to go dig a ditch. You might have to put job applications out there. You might need to go talk to people. It doesn't work to just sit at home, watching TV, play an Xbox, day after day after day. The job's not going to come to you. You might have to go dig a ditch. Are you hearing this? Show me your faith and I will show you my faithfulness, the Lord says. Do you think about some of the miracles that you can recall from the scripture? Time after time, they brought the they brought the blind man to Jesus. Jesus could have just went like this. Actually, he wouldn't even need to do that. He could just say, see, and he would start to see. But what did he do? He spit on the ground and he made some mud and he packed it in his eyes. Gross. 
the man with the withered hand came to Jesus. What did he say to him? Stretch out your hand. And in the act of digging that ditch, his hand was restored. The children of Israel are looking across the Jordan into the promised land. There it is. And there's a big river in front of us. And God said, no, I'm going to part the waters. And He puts, they put the Ark of the Covenant on the priest's shoulders. Hundreds of pounds on the shoulders. And said, let's go. And the two guys in front are like, really? Because it's, this is going to get heavy soon and I'm going to be underwater. And when they started to walk into the river and then the waters parted, they had to dig a ditch. You see, the miracle that you may be waiting for might be right there. And God's just waiting for you to start digging your ditch. I don't know what that miracle is. I don't know what that ditch is. But we know that God can do the miraculous, but sometimes we've got to start taking the steps and digging those ditches. Oh, we talked a few months ago about the miracle with the loaves and the fish. Right? They started out with just a little bit of food. Now, could God have just, could Jesus have said, Lord, multiply this, and it just in front of their eyes would have gone <clears throat> to this giant pile of food? Yes, He could have. But instead, He broke it and gave it to them, and they broke it and gave it to somebody else, and they broke it and gave it to somebody else, and it just kept multiplying as they went. I don't know why God does that. But there's a principle in Scripture that shows us that God wants to participate with us. Or better, He wants us to participate with Him to see miracles happen. Maybe you're believing God to help you quit smoking. Have you ever just taken your cigarettes and thrown them in the garbage? Well, no, because then when I want to smoke again, they'll be in the garbage. Maybe you need to dig a ditch. Maybe you, you're praying and asking God to help your children live a godly life and to be good kids. But do you, do you bring them to church? Everybody in here does. Do you read your scriptures with them? Do you pray with your kids? Are you, are you showing them a good example of what it is to be a godly person? It, it may take digging that ditch. You're asking God to bless your finances. Well, do you give? Do you, do you give to the kingdom of God so that God can bless your finances? You see, it might require digging that ditch. Are you praying for the Lord to bring you a, a spouse? You might need to shower. <laughs> might need to hit the gym. Might need to sell the Xbox. Just talking to the guys. <laughs> not that girls don't play the Xbox, but they seem to be a little more disciplined at not playing the Xbox. It may require you to dig some ditches. Only 
Only God can send the water, but sometimes He wants you to dig a ditch. And the last thing I want you to write down, well, write down whatever you want, but the last thing that I, have, I want you to write down this morning is this. Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. The faith, the idea can be big, but it can start small, and many times should start small. How do you dig a ditch? One shovel full at a time. Now, if God's called you to, to, to dig a ditch, and you look and you go, I'm, I'm going to dig this ditch, and every day you come out and you look and you go, I'm going to dig this ditch, but you never stick a shovel in the ground, nothing's going to happen. Maybe what God wants to do is supernaturally give you the strength to, get, to, build, to dig that ditch. Well, God, what I really want is for her to come out this next morning and have the ditch already dug. Probably not going to happen. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise small things. For the Lord rejoices to see work begin. There's something tied to our efforts. You read it again. The Lord rejoices to see work begin. I need to share this verse more with my children. Let me share with you a neat testimony. Richard weighed a little while ago 426 pounds. The doctors told him, if you don't lose weight, you're never going to have children and you're going to die before you ever get out of your 30s. You are in bad health. And so Richard decided to go to church, but he was nervous to go because he was self-conscious. And while he was sitting in the parking lot, very afraid, he heard a voice on the inside that said, I can't fix your outside. Until you let me fix your inside. And so he walked into church and he gave his life to Jesus and God started to do a work on his inside. Soon after that, he went home one day and after binge eating a box of cereal, he put on his very first workout DVD and he did his first workout. And then one workout became two a week and then three a week. And he entered a CrossFit competition where the prize was $100,000 for winning. And not only did he win the prize, but he got down to 184 pounds in 18 months. Here is a guy that made a big change but was willing to start small. Now Richard travels around the United States and helps other people to realize to do big things, you have to start small. And he talks to them about the love of Christ and how Jesus has made an impact in his own life. As I was praying through this, um, I, I know that there are, I think, a larger than normal amount of people in this room, I think, than in any, any other church I've been in, that God has given you a tug toward ministry. There's a whole bunch of people in here that you feel like God's called you into the ministry, and I'm excited about that. But I'll tell you right now, God's not going to give you a pulpit to preach in tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. It starts one shovel full at a time. 
It starts by cleaning the bathrooms. Not that we have them to clean here because we have janitors. But, you know, Pastor Rob and I both, uh, in 20-some years of ministry, have, have cleaned toilets. Remember the one that I cleaned was a downstairs bathroom that the, it was a pump-up system, and the crock broke, and so the sewage was all over, and that was fun to clean. And by fun, I mean not fun. But it doesn't matter if it's a call to ministry or a call to marriage or a call to children or a call to health or a call to financial prosperity. What God requires of us is going to be one step at a time, one shovel full at a time. And I'm not saying that God has not called you to be a millionaire one day. But if you don't know how to save money, and you don't know how to spend wisely, one dollar at a time, it's probably not going to happen. And if you're not willing to exercise and eat healthy, then being the right weight is probably not going to happen. And if you're not willing to discipline your children and teach them the right way, they're probably not going to be the way you want them to be. Because those miracles take place one step at a time. Believe big and start small. Let the need become the blessing. Let God do the miracle, but be ready to dig. And let small beginnings lead to big victories for Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank You for for everybody that's here this morning. And God, I just ask that You would take the words that were spoken and Lord, that they would not be my words, but they would be Yours. God, that You would take them and that You would help our hearts to receive them this morning. Lord, that we would recognize that that only You can bring the water, but that we're going to need to start digging ditches if we're going to see You working and moving. Lord, I thank You that You desire to partner with us in miracles. Lord, I pray that You would Help us not to be afraid to step out the things that You're calling us to so that we can see the miraculous take place. Lord, I pray that You would help us not to despise small things in the beginning. Lord, Your Word says You love to see the work started. I know, God, that when we step out in faith that You honor it and that You make things happen. So, Lord, I pray this morning that You would even give vision to each of us as to what those first shovelfuls might be. I want to I want to just ask if you guys could stay in an attitude of prayer if, if something this morning has really struck a chord with you and I'd like to pray for you specifically. Can you can just give me some sort of an indicator, a little hand raised that said, "Yeah, I'm God's speaking something to me this morning." Okay? 3 of you, 4 of you, lots of you. <laughs> Lord, I pray that You would just honor that act of faith by that raised hand. Lord, that 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 right there was a shovel full. God, that there was a participation there. And God, I ask that You would honor that. Lord, whatever it is that You're speaking to hearts, that You're challenging us to, that You're encouraging us in, Lord, that this morning that there would be 
a change. God, that You would honor that. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Listen, don't let that just be a hand raise. Don't let that just be a prayer that we prayed this morning. If, if God's calling you to something, start following through with it. And then when you start to see something happen, tell somebody, give God praise because He dwells in the presence, in the praises of His people. He inhabits those praises. We've got we to start giving more testimonies and, 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 and because it's going to encourage each other's faith and we're going to see God do more. Amen? Be careful this week where you go what you look at, what you talk about, what you listen to. Let's honor God in our lives. In Jesus' name, thank you. We're dismissed.